Good morning, church. It's our storytelling time, your favorite time of Sunday service every week. Today I want to introduce the cool guy that Joseph mentioned. And just to balance that, he's not like cool in general. He's cool like in a California surfer dude kind of way. So Brad, come on up. Show us your cool face. <laughs> Tell us a cool story. <laughs> All right, my name is Brad Dewey. Uh, in this crowd, I'm probably better known as Christy's husband. And I love that. So... Um, I thank you for the opportunity to speak with you all this morning, but uh, I already did my storytelling about a year ago, Father's Day, I did my storytelling, um, and I, at that point I shared a few sayings that my dad shared with me growing up, so you just might remember some of these, and still, as I shared then, there's not a week that goes by that I don't share these with my own kids or people at work, but uh, it was, you can, do any, you can be anything you want to be, every kick in the butt's a boost, uh, if it were easy, it would be someone else's job. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. You have freedoms, you abuse them, you lose them. And never, under, never underestimate the power of prayer. So I've done my storytelling, and today is actually Peter's storytelling day. So um, what I thought I'd do instead is share a little about the exciting things happening with small groups at the church here at Evergreen. Uh, Joseph Scheid is doing an amazing job with the small groups and I just wanted to share some of his thinking that he's put in place for the small groups. So one of the cool ideas is it's a semester system. So just like the schools, um, it's, uh, you're not making a commitment for life or even a year. It's a semester. I think we can all do a semester. And it's actually only 11 weeks. And uh, there's a wide range of topics. You see the little one-sheet catalog in your bulletin. And I think there's 13 different groups, and you can find one, and hopefully you find the next 11 weeks in that group, you know, really enriching, and you make great connections, and you want to stay with that group and maybe continue on and do great things. But I want to give you comfort, just like the schools, you can transfer. After the semester, you can transfer, you can pick another topic or class, pick a different teacher, uh, or you could even take the semester off if you have other commitments. So uh, Christy and I have decided uh, to lead a small group this semester, and I have to admit that while Christy and I have been members of the church and active in the church, we have not been part of a small group here at Evergreen, and that's our bad. So we're going to change that, and uh, we've been parts of small groups at other church. So um, when we lived in Manhattan Beach in uh, Los Angeles, I joined a Saturday morning men's small group. And it was only a week, I mean, it was only an hour a week commitment, uh, but it made a big impact on my life and my connections at the church. Uh, I remember we even, as a men's group, went to a Promise Keepers event, and some of you guys might remember the whole Promise Keepers movement, but there's still certain songs that, that were played that night at that event that whenever I hear them, I remember going to that um, Promise Keepers event with, with the different guys. We also spent one of our studies as a men's group doing the prayer of Jabez. And uh, if you have never read that prayer, it's a great one. And it was amazing to see how the Lord answered that prayer over the coming weeks and months and years of our lives. So um, it was great. The other thing I learned in that same men's study group was to actually write down your prayer requests. And the reason is, you'd be amazed at how many the Lord actually answers. We tend to just keep layering on the next one, but if you actually keep track, it's amazing how many uh, prayer requests the Lord actually answers. 
And so then the next small group we joined was um, one is a couples group, and it was uh, a couples group for parents of young children. And uh, we made some great connections with uh, the people in that, in that small group. And we were just doing life together, trying to figure things out on the fly, frankly. Uh, but what, what we did was uh, one study called Growing Kids God's Way. And it was an enormously, it had an enormously beneficial impact on us as parents and on our kids. Um, so Christy and I felt it was time for us to participate in a small group here at the church. And so we're going to lead one. And uh, now we're at a different phase in our life. So ours is for almost empty nesters. You see it in the, in the, uh, in the program there. So our group is targeted towards those almost empty nester folks. And uh, we still have three years left with uh, our son Slater, and he's a sophomore at Mercer Island High School. So we still have three years left with him at home, but uh, we recently took our oldest son, Braden, to college at uh, Texas Christian University, and taking a child to college is a very interesting experience. Uh, so we felt, you know, it was really time to get in a small group, share these type of experiences, and get more connected with people at the church, and these are very important years, like all the years, but uh, we'll be focusing generally on parenting older children, uh, dealing with aging parents, and strengthening marriages. So what we're going to do for our group is on Wednesday nights, we'll meet at our home here on Mercer Island, and uh, it'll, be, it'll start at 7 p.m. Wednesday evenings. It'll go till about 8 or 8.30, and Christy, she's a big planner, so she's already looked ahead at the whole semester and picked out the dates where we have conflicts and things. So... Um, I think it's select Wednesdays, I'm supposed to say, but there's about six meetings. So it's not an enormous commitment. But uh, what we're going to start with is studying spiritual gifts. And uh, we're going to focus on discovering our own spiritual gifts. And we then want to be able to apply it to our children. And what we've found is when you really know how, what talents God has given you, you can enjoy yourself and, and find the right things to do uh, in life, in a profession, in the church. So we'll probably weave in a little secular bit too on Strengths Finder if anyone's done that. But uh, we're going to really try to learn a little more about ourselves so we can help our uh, children as well. And then we'll be doing life updates and praying together and really just connecting as a small group. So if this sounds good to you, we'd love for you to join our group. But uh, most importantly, we ask you to get involved and join a small group. And uh, just give it a try. And my, my thought is, you know, imagine coming to church. You'll know more people. You'll have more people praying for you. You'll connect with them. You'll learn more about God's word. I think it's a great thing to do. So uh, I encourage you to get involved in a small group. And I want to thank Joseph, too, for all the work he's put into the small groups. So there'll be leaders in the lobby from the different small groups if you have questions or anything during the break. All right? So hopefully you'll join a small group. Thank you. Okay, this morning our scripture reading is from 2 Corinthians, and please follow along in your Bible or use the screens. I'll be reading verses 3 and 4 and 8 and 9 from chapter 1 in the New International Version. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us 
in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. We do not we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experience in the province of Asia. We are under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. The word of the Lord. Again, my name is Peter. I am one of the pastors here. And uh, for my sermon today, I'm going to be telling you the story of my sabbatical. Before I get into that, just to connect, uh, Brad's a pretty serious surfer dude. He asked me last week, he texted me and said, hey, do you want to go paddle boarding? I said, yeah, maybe. What time? And he says, 6 a.m. What a jerk, right? Um. That's me on uh, the paddleboard in Lake Tahoe when we had our family reunion this summer during my sabbatical. And I want to tell you the story of this sabbatical because it's been so meaningful to me. And I, I think I'm the most surprised person in the room by this story. Not a story I expected or asked for, but one that God gifted me with is how I feel about it. And I don't know if you have picked this up about me, but even as a, a pastor, a professional Christian, I really struggle, uh, I think because of my evangelical sort of uh, bent, like I really want to tell people about things that I really believe in and I'm excited about. And I, I tend to feel a conflict with the way the world perceives Christianity and Christians um, and what I think Jesus is really about. And so because of this gap that I experience as a Christian, I tend to be pretty tight-lipped about using words like God or prayer or Lord or will or anything that feels like it's kind of been depleted of some of its meaning uh, by misuse or overuse. And so I don't say this lightly when I say that I really feel like God showed up for me this summer. And I really feel like it's been in the works. And it just keeps going. And I, I feel very aware that this greater force is working in my life in ways that are so meaningful and profound and unexpected that I do find myself feeling like, like we sang today, that God is somehow pursuing me and uh, knocking down walls and barriers and finding me somehow. And I did not know that I needed to be found in such a way. But then as he finds me, I realize how lost I was. So I want to tell you that story, knowing this is just the beginning of that story, but I want to walk with you and invite you to walk with me. Sabbatical, as defined uh, by uh, Wikipedia, is a period of paid leave granted to a university teacher or other worker for study or travel traditionally one year for every seven years worked. First result in Google. I had looked forward to this. The church has a policy for uh, um, sending pastors on sabbaticals every fifth year uh, because they studied and they found that uh, the majority of sabbaticals actually come much later 
And it ends up becoming a terminal sabbatical, meaning pastors don't come back. Or they come back for the requisite year afterwards, but then they leave. And so the church wanted to respond to that, and so they shortened that up based on uh, more research. And they made it five years. Uh, and so I was looking forward to this, and I applied to the Lilly Endowment uh, pharmaceutical company out in Indiana. They have an interest in spiritual matters and they have a special program for people just like me to apply up to $50,000 for up to $50,000 for their sabbatical. And uh, I thought I would get it. We had, a, we had put a team together. We've, uh, I even bought a book on how to apply to this sabbatical, follow the rules, and didn't get it. And uh, I was really disoriented by that and disappointed. And kind of the, all the wind uh, came out of the sails. And I did not know what to do and how to do it. I, my imagination just shut down. And I just sort of, oh, okay, fine. I'll have a sabbatical. And it got delayed by a year. And so there was a delayed start. It was a denied scholarship. And I sort of was dead in my faith towards the sabbatical. And that's how I showed up at the start line. But the story of the sabbatical turned out to be the story of God's comfort in my life. It turned out to be the story of God not promising me that I won't die, but that when I'm confronted with death, I should, and this is the key word for me, trust and cry out to the one who is able to raise the dead. A couple of things to point out in the passage that Brad read for us is that sometimes we think God won't give us what we can't handle. That's absolutely not true. Most of life you cannot handle. You don't have enough competence and wherewithal and predictive powers and whatever else you need to get through uh, some of the even little bit difficult things in life. It doesn't take much to knock us down. We're fragile, we're fickle, and our minds are easily penetrated by other thoughts and feelings, and our executive brain function just shuts down, and our fight or flight kicks up, and we're sort of just flooded with feelings and fears, and we make decisions and say things, and our life can just, you know, some people say we're just two things happening away from homelessness, no matter how wealthy you are. And so I think there's that, you know, other verse that says God is not tempted to be on what you can handle. But there's a counter to that. The reason you can handle that temptation is not because you are strong, but it's because you cry out to the one who is, and he's able to help you. He is trustworthy. He's a reliable person, and he cares. I was talking with a non-Christian just yesterday, and uh, I had asked the question, what's... Uh, you know, uh, there's this book called Give and Take. And I said, are you a giver? Are you a taker? Are you a matcher? And, uh, you know, I admitted that I'm a matcher. And I think the only answer you can give is I'm a taker or a matcher. If you say I'm a giver, you're probably not a giver. Somebody else has to tell you you're a giver, <laughs> you know. So if you didn't have an answer for that just now, you're probably a giver. Uh, I think I'm more or less a matcher. I think that's where I feel safe. That's where I feel like I can maintain some semblance of control over the transactions in my life and keep a tab on the ledger. And uh, this, this guy that I was talking to, he's not a Christian, and uh, he said, I'm a giver. And I think he is. I would agree with that. And he explained to me how he can be a giver because I feel unsafe being a giver. 
You know, I, I have to protect myself from being exploited or being forgotten, taken advantage of. And he said, you know, I really believe in karmic justice was the phrase he used. I believe that I don't have to worry about protecting myself. I don't have to worry about being taken advantage of because somehow the universe gives back to you more than it could ever take from you. And then I was thinking, well, that's not what the law of thermodynamics says. It says that in the closed system, everything is tending towards decay and chaos and darkness. And, you know, we're all going towards absolute zero here. And we need an outside source of energy to put energy in for that good thing to happen. If, if the universe is giving back to you more than you are being, where does it come from? There has to be an outside source according to the laws of thermodynamics. So I didn't say that. That would be the dorkiest thing to say, but... <laughs> I was thinking that. But I think a point worth making, and this is a point that I made, I said, you know, I believe that this desire, this longing, this absolute maybe demand for some kind of redemptive energy or force in our, in our world is universal. It doesn't matter what you say you believe. You want, you need things to go okay somehow. To, for things to work out for the good. You need the scales to somehow weigh it, uh, in your favor. You need that so much. Even if you just get a flat tire, you just think, ah, I got a flat tire, but something, something, something. I think that's a universal human experience to want that, to feel that. And I said, I believe that longing is put inside of us by God. And we want a parent who's going to make everything okay. We didn't make God up because our parents fell short. Our parents exist to point us towards the God who is enacting his love through them and through other uh, institutions and what we might call happenstance or coincidences, things are happening and overall we net positive in the universe because there's somebody who cares who's inputting energy into our closed system. We're not just giving and taking from each other. That would just zero us out. That'd be a zero-sum game. But there is gain because there's a God. So I believe that. Where do you feel, where do you stand on that? How do you feel about that? So I want to tell you my story of how I have come to um, experience God's input in my life this summer. So it all started. It all started with me becoming more aware of my absolute need to find deals in life. It doesn't matter if something is 50% off at a store. I want to know, can I get 60? And I will ask the manager for it. And the manager is completely confused. Like, you're not supposed to do that. We, ha we have, like, policies and programs we're running here, you know? Um, so I recently bought a backpacking pack, and I call the manager up on the phone, and I said, I know this brand never goes on sale because you have this agreement with the manufacturer that you'll never put this product on sale. But I see that you're having a 20% off everything else sale at your store. I was wondering if I can get 25% off this bag that's not on sale at all. 
And she said, uh, we can't do that. And so we went back and forth a few times, and the end of the story is, I got 25% off the pack. <laughs> and if you are like a younger person, the brand is Fjall Raven, it never goes on sale. You know this, right? So anyway... I became aware of this, and I just started to feel shame about it. I just felt less. And I didn't feel proud of my deal finding or my need to find deals, but I just began to feel embarrassed about it. It made me feel like a less than smaller person. Like, what's going on, Peter? You know? I mean, while I'm figuring that out, I like to get deals. I was still at it. (laughs) I'm not dumb. But I was up on the paddleboard with my friend Steve Andrews over there, my paddleboard buddy. And, uh, and he said, maybe it's a trust thing. And then I asked him later if he remembers telling me that he has no memory of it. And so, which makes me think, how did he come to that? But I just, that was the seed. That was the first sort of push of the first domino, you know. And I began to think about it. And I realized it's true. I feel like if I don't look out for myself, if I don't do the redemptive math for myself, I am going to be left behind. Somehow, I'm going to be abandoned. I'm going to be left to the devices of wicked people. Like myself, we're always trying to get deals at my expense. And I got to fight them. I got to fight the universe. And so it began. And then I was in California uh, I shared uh, last week that I had done um, stand-up comedy in California. So that's me at uh, one of them. You can see my name is number 10, and then I zoomed in there. So that's the record I have that I tried this thing. But I was staying with some friends that I've known for uh, almost two decades. And uh, they are just such loving people, so generous, and they host me like a king, and I so appreciate all that they have done for me over these years. Every year from here, for my planning weeks, I've gone there in California uh, to plan out sermon series or think through uh, writing projects or whatever it was, and they would just wait on me and take care of me. But this time around, it was going to be the only two weeks I had by myself for my sabbatical, and so I was staying there, and Two weeks is kind of long, and the longest we had been there is like five days. And so by the uh, end of the second week, I got into a conflict with the wife. And I was so disappointed that this was happening because I still had several days left. (laughs) And one day we were just talking about it, and I just had a series of three comments that I made that just cut her down and criticized her as negative and judgy and way too observational and... Um, And she just was hurt and surprised by all this. And I just didn't know where it came from. And so we're sort of sitting there, me, her, and her husband, and we're sort of talking through everything that happened. And it must have been on my face. And um, she said to me, do you feel like you want to leave right now? And that was too pointed of a question. And I just blurted out the truth, which was, I really do. It's so painful for me to sit here. And then she said, do you feel like you never want to come back? And I said, yeah, I feel like I never want to come back. Like, this is done. And then I said, what do you think about my answer? And she said, I just feel like, so it's like that, huh? That's all we ever meant to you? 
this is all it takes? And it just cut me so deep to hear that. And that's my issue, you know? That's why I look for deals. That's why I am who I am. It's one of the engines in my life because I don't know how to trust that people will stay at the table. So I want to leave the table first because I don't want to be left. The ship is fine, but as far as I'm concerned, the ship is sinking and I need to jump ship. That explains a lot of my, uh, you know, patterns in life. Susie and I have bought our soul 13 times in our marriage, like homes. That's a lot of closing tables for 21 years of marriage. Is it, can anybody in this room beat that number? <laughs> like, if you're not a real estate agent, anybody? I've, I've been through so many churches. I've planted six churches. Nobody I know has done that. And yeah, there were other reasons, but there are also other reasons. There are some forces at work. So I think about that, and I just think about myself also. I feel so confident. Like, I don't feel insecure as a person. I just, I don't know why, but maybe because of the way I was raised, I believe that my thoughts are important. I believe they matter. I feel legitimate. When I walk into a room, I just assume I have something to share. I have gifts to offer. I just think that about myself. And yet, at the same time, I feel deathly afraid in relationships. I mean, even to this day, every time I get a text or email or phone call, the first assumption my heart makes is, oh, God, what did I do now? I'm in trouble. I just become a child again and feel like I'm in trouble. And it's terrifying when you're a child and you feel like you're in trouble. Trust highlighted for me again. And then uh, we were in Tahoe with my extended family, 27 of us. And uh, it was an amazing time to be together. And I got the chance to spend time, quality time. Uh, by the way, that's me doing an amazing trick shot uh, at the house that we rented. Uh, I jumped at black cue ball or uh, eight ball. And I did one, was going for a three ball combo and I hit it. And it went in. Anyway, it's fun. But my dad and my mom and I, we stayed up late into the night, and my dad shared with me uh, his faith journey story. I learned that night, and I didn't know this, that my dad is an absolute skeptic at heart. And that all his life, he's been trying to disprove the existence of God. And he shared with me that the primary reason he came to America was to prove to himself and to all the Christians around him that without God, he can succeed and make it in life. And that's why he came to America. I had no idea that my skepticism and my tire-kicking nature was inherited. I thought it was just me. But turns out it's his fault. <laughs> I would be an amazing Christian today if it wasn't for him. I learned that the, one of the key turning points in his life was during the course of his uh, work as a, uh, a dry, dry cleaning owner. Uh, he was making a delivery and he got held at gunpoint. Uh, by a mafia guy, and this, I won't go into the story, but it's this uh, coincidence-riddled story of how my mom ended up rescuing him uh, from uh, this crazy guy who was, uh, it sounds like, was going to murder him that day. And that was 
he shared with me the prayer that he prayed and the way that God answered that in this miraculous way. And um, it was just really powerful to hear that and for me to feel like uh, I can trust God because my dad's found a way to trust God. I'm not sure how that generational faith inheritance thing works, but whatever connective tissue there is between me and dad somehow transmitted this, this kind of faith to me that night. He also shared with me that night with my mom, they were in tears, sharing with me that their greatest regret in raising me was not providing for me as well. And I wondered about that, you know, because I worked all throughout college and grad school. And just a few years ago, I finished paying off my student loans. And I just felt like that's life, you know. And uh, all the jobs that I had during college and grad school, every paycheck before I got married, the first one I gave to my dad as just a way to say thank you to him. And there was that in there. But I think another uh, reason why I was doing that is to uh, sort of double down on my independence from him. It was like my way of saying, you know, dad, you didn't really take care of me during college and grad school. You didn't contribute to it. I, ha I worked really hard. And I was juggling many things to try to make it through college. And um, this is my way of sort of uh, continuing this false narrative that that didn't hurt, that my, that happened. You know, we're complicated like that, right? And, and when they share that, I didn't know they were thinking that or aware of that. It just made me feel like, oh. Just a full circle healing experience. And then when we were in Yosemite, we got into this uh, really scary car incident. And uh, we almost went off the road and off the side, you know, down the side of a mountain because our left wheel almost fell off. And it's just a scary, scary experience that we still kind of feel like we deal with emotionally every time we get in, in the car. And... But the next day, you know, the day that it happened, it was the 4th of July. We had no cell service. And everything was shut down. We're in a small town. Uh, and then a retired firefighter chief <laughs> just drove by and stopped. And by then, I had called the state uh, police. So they were both there trying to help. And they both sort of offered us rides and food and just took us on. And just we just felt love through these guys. And then... The next day, the tow truck you know, company opened. They came and picked me up at the house. I was staying in deep in the woods, drove me to the car. And so we spent a good maybe hour and a half, two hours together, the whole thing. That guy right there in the picture, uh, as we were going after we had towed the car, after we were going to drop it off at the shop, we had been talking. And he said, hey, Peter, you know, this is in quotes, uh, I know this situation is not something that you wanted to happen, but I just want to let you know, I feel like God sent you to me and let this happen for this conversation you and I have been able to have. It's not a Christian or anything. And I wasn't trying to proselyze. I just, just was being my upset self, you know. And I just thought, what is that? What just happened? I didn't even know anything was happening. So weird. Uh, and then towards the end of my sabbatical, I got to go to uh, New York City uh, with uh, my two older girls um, and spend 10 days there. 
And uh, this, is, this is a little bit of an adult theme thing, but I've mentioned this before from the pulpit, so I'm going to do it again. Uh, but uh, I, was, I had been abused as a child and um, spent many years working through it and everything. And, um, but I had, uh, about eight years ago or so, uh, Susie and I decided we're going to talk to my parents about it, let them know what had happened because they didn't know. And we were living in Chicago. They were visiting. We sat them down. We got really serious about it. And I shared, and my parents did all the things that you're not supposed to do. Like, they minimized it. They denied it. They blamed the victim. They, they did all those things that just made me just regret sharing anything ever with them. And I was really disappointed. And then in New York City this time, I said, you know what? I'm going to go for it again because <laughs> I think God's doing something. So... Late into the night again, we're sitting at the table we've sat at hundreds of times for hours and hours. And I said, you know, I want to talk about this thing again. Said, Peter, we have thought about that every day since you shared it with us. We're so sorry that it happened. But we think you got some facts wrong because we've really been thinking about it. So I said, can we just spend some time like mapping this out? And we're all thinkers, my family, right? So we got paper and pen and we went through every memory we had collectively and we put it all together to paint the picture as fully as possible. We drew out layouts of rooms and homes that we had lived in and who was wearing what. Like I remembered one of the abusers wearing army fatigues, right? I'm like, I know he was in the army, and I know that he was on leave. I know that he stayed. Well, then it's, I learned that night that it wasn't this uncle that I thought it was my whole life. It was this other uncle that I didn't know as well. You know, I was so relieved. And, um, and we figured it out, and we just talked about it. We, we just got on the same side of the table. We were just on the same team looking at it together. And we, like, cracked the code on this sucker. It was so powerful, and I felt like, man, somehow, somehow, there's this force moving, the spirit just hovering over the surface of the earth. We think it's us, but it's not. I know it's not. It's so dumb when you read the news to think it's us. We know what we're capable of. We know that our solutions are problematic. But there's this God who is consistent who has a vision and a plan, and he's working it through pervasively in each of our lives. I really believe that. And then during that same trip, I was staying uh, one of the nights, two, two nights, with some very dear friends of mine. And we got to talking that night, and we we're talking about the, this trust issue that I was kind of working through and just feeling like, God, and we were talking about our relationship and I, how I had abandoned them and how hurt they were and, and all of that. So we're talking through, apologizing, and, and, then, um, and then the wife, she said, Peter, and this is before the word trust had actually uh, really kind of developed as the theme, and she said, Peter, uh, I think God's working on your trust issue. And she just put it like that. And then as she said that, my face just like, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a brain person. I'm an analytical person. I'm a Presbyterian person. I'm not into this like woo-woo stuff, you know. But my face just started like doing something on its own that I couldn't control. I wasn't feeling emotions or anything. So then I started massaging my face like, well, what, what's happening and then, like, I just 
my face just felt so funny, and then my fingertips started tingling. And I felt like I was being filled with the Holy Spirit. This is weird feeling. It's happened to me, a Presbyterian minister. <laughs> and I wasn't asking for it. It wasn't a prayer thing. It wasn't emotional. It just started happening outside. And it happened just the way I needed it to happen. Like, if we had been praying, I would have said, nah, sensationalism. If we had been feeling things, you know, emotions, whatever, adrenaline, fight or flight mechanism kicking in, who knows? But it was none of that. It was just normal. And then I started seeing a vision. And then I started seeing words. And then they started crying. And then she started shaking. And he was just like looking around going, what is going on? Oh, it was so weird, you guys. And it was so poignant and powerful. And I said, I believe with all my heart that God is alive and well. And he is living and he is moving and he is active. And I did not know what to do with this felt body of truth that was descending on me and filling me and filling the cells in my body and most of all my stupid analytical brain. This is a pretty hard picture for me. I found this because my sister had digitized all our family pictures. And so I looked at this uh, website for the first time. And that's a picture of me, my older sister, who's my protector. And the uncle that abused me and the cousin that abused me. And his hand is on my shoulder. And I saw this picture this week. I just was feeling so many weird things. And there's me, you know, just like six years old or something. He didn't have a protector. Nobody knew. And that cousin, he threatened my life if I told. And so I ask, you know, life is like this. This is life. Life is really hard. There's a lot of things happening in this world. We really need God to be working. We need him to be a, a trustworthy, reliable source of love. And I wonder if you feel that in your life. And, and, you know, I just turned 45 and I'm feeling that now, maybe for the first time. Takes a while, takes a minute, you know. Right now, uh, there's some bitter medicine that my wife and I are drinking in, in our marriage. And it's, it's a test of trust. And, but I really believe God through it. I really do. I want to end. That's my parents dropping me off at the airport this summer. So much love. I want to close now. Uh, I've doubled the number of minutes that I was allotting myself. So there's that. I want to close. <laughs> With this thought, this feeling like, you know, the Apostle Paul said, I'm the worst of sinners. And I, know, I didn't know what that meant, you know. Is, it, is that arrogance? Is that false humility? Or what's going on there, Paul? And I realized what that means. It's just this feeling 
that if I can come to a place where God finds me and wins me over and helps me to trust him, if I can trust God, certainly you can. Certainly you can, for I'm the worst of sinners. I want to close with this verse, uh, two verses that I put together for us as our prayer. I want to ask you to close your eyes and receive this prayer. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. I want to invite you to pray in your heart right now and ask God to find you and help him to be the trusted one in your life. Would you pray that in your heart? Amen.